So parenting and family life are not easy. That's not news to anybody in this room. Being in relationship with other human beings, especially being under the same roof with other human beings, is beautiful, wonderful, yeah, 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 all that stuff, but it's also difficult, right? And it's not getting any easier. I think especially for, for those who, who have children these days and, and some of the unique obstacles and wrinkles that are getting in the way of, of trying to be an effective and engaged parent. I mean, there's more technology today to deal with than ever before. There is massive cultural change that's happening like every moment of every day. There's global pandemics that you have to kind of raise your kids through. Who saw that coming? Not only that, but, but if you've got a little one in your house, you have to figure out what in the world Cocoa Melon is. Or if you've got a, a teenager in your house, you've got to decipher what's actually happening on TikTok. No one really seems to know. By the way, if you don't know what any of this is, this is the whole world of children these days. Cocoa Melon, TikTok, it's everything that they're consuming. And those of you who have kids in your life are like, yep, that's exactly what it is. All right, we can get it off the screen now. We're starting a new teaching series where we are talking about the unique obstacles and opportunities that stand in front of family life in the modern world. And what we want to do is, is, is help one another with those things, but try to understand those things and deal with those things through the lens of our faith, to take the truths of the Christian scriptures and apply them to the life we're living as families, in particular, as, as parents or grandparents or people of influence in a family over little ones in general. And you may not be a parent, uh, but I believe that the things that we talk about in this series have application for you in all of your relationships. Now, disclaimer that I need to get out of the way right away. Uh, the Bible itself is not a parenting handbook. It's not. That, that's not the purpose of the Christian scriptures. There's really only probably a handful of scriptures that speak directly to parenting and family life and really how we should live it out. In fact, what you can say is that there's probably no good example of parenting or, or what it means to be a child in a family or, or really of family life at all in the scriptures. Every person, every family that we look at is a mess. You could even say most of them are downright tragic. There's no one that we could look at apart from, say, like Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And just to break it to you, your kid ain't Jesus. There's no one that we could look at perhaps aside from them, and say, oh, well, they're our model. Let's, let's learn from them. Let's, let's imitate them. It just doesn't exist. No, what you have in the scriptures are, are very real people. Terrible parents, terrible kids, immensely broken families, living immensely broken lives, yet perfectly loved by their Father in heaven. And that's where we're going to get our help from. Not looking at the dynamic among those families in the scriptures. No. But looking at how the father loves his imperfect and broken children. How he loves us. And then trying to apply that to our relationships with one another. Which means we're going to spend a lot of time looking at Jesus. Because Jesus is the love of the father in flesh to us. Jesus is God in flesh to us. And so if we're going to look at how God deals with us, his children, we have to look at Jesus. 
And so here's where we're going to begin. Uh, we're going to look at John's words in chapter 1, starting at verse 14. And what we see in John chapter 1 is that Jesus emerges on the scene, and he has an incredibly high standard and even greater grace. Jesus brings a high standard and even greater grace. Let's look again at verse 14. John writes this, The word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his, God's glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, the Hebrew people were taught that you could not see the glory of God and live. That if you saw God in all of his glory, it would be so overwhelming to any sinful, broken human being that you would instantly die. In fact, we have a couple of stories in the Old Testament where something akin to that happens. But then Jesus emerges on the scene, and what are we given? We're given God in flesh, and what John says is, now you can see God. The fullness of God is known in Jesus Christ. If you want to know who God is, what he's like, how he feels about you, just look in one place at one person. Who do you look at? Jesus. He's full of the glory of God. He is God. And, and for John, the evidence of the glory of God that Jesus carries with him, that he embodies, that flows with him, is these two things. Jesus comes to us holding these two things. What does he hold? He holds grace and he holds truth. He holds the high and holy standard of God and he teaches it. He tells us about it. That's the truth. And he holds and he, he shares the unmatched mercy of God. That's the grace. So, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, it's Jesus', it's Jesus most famous teaching. Jesus takes the law, he takes the standard of what it means to be holy and to be a member of God's family. He takes the law and he amplifies it. He takes the expectation and he turns it up to 11. You might remember he says things like this. You've heard it said that if you kill someone, you commit murder. But if you so much as look at someone with hatred in your heart, you're also guilty of murder. What is Jesus doing? He's taking the holy standard and he raises it even higher. That's what Jesus does. But then as he's, as he's teaching and ministering and, and living, he encounters all these people, real people like you and me, who are broken under the weight of the holy standard. He meets the, the, the woman who's accused of adultery. He meets the tax collector who's defrauding his own people. And what does he do? He treats them with mercy and grace and he embraces them and he befriends them and he invites himself to their table and he's like, we should be friends, let's hang out. So he has this incredibly high standard for what it means to be God's people, but he has this grace that's even greater. And you've experienced that too if you're here as a follower of Jesus. You've heard the teachings. You know what the standard is. You've heard it, and it's high. It's so high that every time we hear it, we're instantly convicted, and we're like, well, that ain't me. <laughs> I've messed up. Better come to church and confess. Yeah, that's kind of how it works. We all fall short every moment of every day. And yet, what does Jesus do? When you bring that broken feeling under the weight of God's holy standard, when you bring it to Jesus, what does he do? He treats you just like the woman who was caught, just like the tax collector, just like everybody else. And he says, I love you. And here's mercy for you. I want to be your friend and sit at your table and hang out at your house. 
What he does is he says, I've lived for you, and I've died for you to forgive you, and I've risen from your grave to free you from death, and I give my name to you. I'm a, I'm a beloved child of God. You are now the beloved child of God. That's what Jesus does. And, and that's what makes Jesus so glorious, at least according to John. What makes Jesus so glorious is that he holds these things together and brings them to the world. He gives them to you, this incredibly high and holy, beautiful standard, but grace that is even greater. That's what makes Jesus so glorious. Now, how does that apply to our life together in families and relationships? Well, I believe that lots of families, especially kind of here in the, in the modern era, lots of families struggle with this dynamic. Lots of families struggle to articulate a high standard for their home. Lots of families are tempted to live with a really low or no expectations in their home. Now, that doesn't mean that they have no rules. I'm not saying that. This is different than rules. We'll talk about rules at a later date. What I'm talking about is a picture of vision for who we as a family, as a home, are called to be. Many, if not most families, fail to articulate, fail to communicate any kind of vision or picture of who they want their children to become, who they want their family to be. What is that picture? What is that vision? We fail to articulate it. What does it mean to live as the people of the Popovitz clan? What does it mean when we are at our best? What are we to aspire to? Have we ever articulated that? The vast majority of families never, ever do. We fail to articulate the truth of the high and holy standard of what it means to be a member of our family. And in the absence of that articulation of the ideal, of the expectation, of the standard, what most parents or grandparents or teachers do is we just, we just respond to what we perceive to be bad behavior at the moment. We respond reflexively and, and, we, and we, we punish or we discipline or we ground or we put people in timeout. But we fail to articulate a picture of what should be, a picture of the goals. And I know why we fail to do this. I'll speak for myself. I know why I struggle with this as a dad. I struggle with this for a couple of reasons. I get tempted to be a fatalist when it comes to my family. What I mean by that is this. I tell myself this story. Well, you know what? My, my kids aren't going to be able to reach that standard anyway, let's be honest. I wasn't able to reach that standard. Or you know what? Life's so crazy. Pandemics and TikTok and crazy stuff happening all the time. Life's going to get in the way of us achieving this high standard. So, so, so what's the point of articulating it? We're just going to argue over it. So let's not do it. Or I'm also tempted to just feel guilty. I see my own failures as a parent, or I think of my own mistakes as a teenager, and I think, well, who am I as this profoundly imperfect parent or this kid who made some really dumb choices in high school or college? Who am I to suddenly articulate a higher standard? I'm a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I won't articulate a really high standard. Or some of us, we, we just grew up in families of origin where there was no vision for who we are to be, what we are to strive for given to us. And, and all we have to work with is all we inherit. And so if we weren't given a picture of what the high standard is for who we're to be in our house, then it should be no surprise that we, that we don't hand one over to anybody. And so we don't. But, but hear me on this. 
the children, the grandchildren, the nieces, the nephews, the cousins, uh, the kids in your classroom, they need, listen to me on this one, they need a clear and compelling picture of the way things should be. In your home, in your care, in your world. They need a clear and compelling picture of what's expected, what's possible, what's beautiful in your home, in your world, in your care. That doesn't mean you have a list of 10,000 rules. I'm not talking rules. I'm talking a picture of who we can be, what's expected. You know, you know Jesus did this beautifully and simply. He, he talked a lot about God's high and holy standard. But at one point he was asked, you know, basically, how would you summar summarize it all, Jesus? And he summarized it perfectly. He said, look, here's God's high and holy standard. Here's who we are to be. Write this down. Love the Lord your God with all you've got. And love your neighbor just like you love yourself. That's our standard. That's who we are. That's what we're aiming for and striving for. That's what we're all about. A lot of families struggle to articulate that for their own home. Likewise, a lot of families really struggle, mine included, to create a culture of grace in response to the reality of sin and struggle and mistakes. A lot of families struggle to respond with mistakes made by kids, with, with difficult behavior, with disappointment, to respond with substantive, tangible, and consistent grace, mercy, kindness, and compassion. It seems to me that, that most parents, grandparents, teachers, all of us who have influence over little ones, we are instinctively good at squashing bad behavior. That part comes naturally to us. That part seems to come easy to most of us. We're relatively good at coming up with rules that we can enforce. We're relatively good with disciplining timeouts, finding a timeout chair, counting to three. One, two, two what? three. We're really good at that whole dance, right? Really good at that. I, I, I didn't have to be taught the death stare that I give to my children. <laughs> that, actually, check that. My wife taught me a death stare <laughs> that was given to me that I now pass along to my children, but it came so easy, even once it was passed on to me. Here, here's what doesn't come naturally. You want to know what doesn't come naturally? What doesn't come naturally is actually pointing out a failure to meet the standard, talking about a disappointment, talking about a sin, a struggle, a failure, and then communicating, engaging with a response that offers mercy and grace and forgiveness and compassion. What doesn't come so naturally is actually articulating the way in which the person or the family as a whole, whatever it is, has failed to meet the standard, and then backfilling that hole that's been dug by their failure, backfilling that with words Words that give mercy and grace and compassion and make the person who's failed confident that though they've failed to meet the standard, they still have a place at your table 
and in your home and in your heart. A lot of parents think they're really, really good at grace. And, and perhaps in, in, in some ways we are. But what most parents are actually good at is ignoring failures to meet the standard and saying nothing. And we think that that's gracious. When someone that we, we care about fails to, to be who we want them to be, who we, who we desire them to be, when they fail to hit that standard and we just kind of let it go or we say a little thing, but we kind of let it go and we're like, you know what, they can still live in my house and eat my food. I'm incredibly gracious. We think that is creating a culture of grace. And on one hand, one small hand, that is. Grace unspoken is grace not given. Grace unspoken or assumed is grace not given or received. Because the most powerful force in the world is to fail to meet the standard and to have someone who loves you point that out to you, but then say to you, I love you anyway. That's the most powerful force in the world. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us. We, we, we fail to meet the standard, and what does he do? He loves us anyway. And that's what grace is. That, that's a culture of grace. And, and I know why some of us struggle with this. I know why, why we're hesitant to do this. Uh, we, we struggle with this because we have a high standard, and we don't want to undermine it with grace. Well, if I walk around just being like, you know what, I love you anyway... They're not going to pursue the high standard. And I get your logic, but I don't think it works. I don't think you really understand how love and obedience actually work. Because when someone says to you, you failed, but I love you anyway, when that's really received in the heart of the person who's forgiven, that actually inspires obedience. Not as a, not as a have to, but as a get to. That's how this works. We struggle to bring and create a foster of real, tangible, spoken grace. It's really, really hard for us. I think for us as parents um, and people of influence over, over little ones, what it comes down to is us being cognizant of two questions. Two questions. And the two questions are this. What's expected of me in this family? And what will happen to me when, underline when, I fail in this family? You could say that much of Christian discipleship in general comes down to learning to understand the answers to these two questions and live with the implications of the answers to these two questions. Learning what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what's expected of us as members of God's family. And learning to believe that what will happen to us, what happens to us every single time that we fail is that the mercy of God, one for us in Jesus Christ, flows down and over into and through us every single time. What it means to grow as a person of faith is to grow in your understanding of what it means to live under the expectation but walk in the grace that's given. And what you want to do in your families, in your homes, is, is, is lead and love your children, your family in such a way that they have the right answers to these two questions. That, that they can articulate an expectation for your home. What's most important to us? What are we all about? Can you teach them that? But then, so much more importantly, 
You ask them, what's going to happen to you when you fail? Really brave parents, ask your kids this after church. What's most important in this house? What are mom and dad going to do when you fail? But you want your children, grandchildren, students to be deeply rooted in, in this knowledge that the standard matters, but when I fail, I am loved, I'm wanted, I matter, I'm accepted, I have a place at the table in my mom and dad's house, and I have a place in their heart that can never, ever be taken. You want them deeply rooted in that answer, that one. Now, it may go without saying that in order to try and live this out, to communicate a compelling and clear vision for what your family should be about and to create a culture of grace, it requires relationships. It requires a relationship between, between you and your heavenly father that's growing and a relationship between you and the people that you share this house with that's growing. You might look at the task of being a parent and you might say to yourself, man, it's impossible. Or I am very ill-equipped to do this well. And, and I'll say this to you. Do you know why it feels impossible? Do you know why you feel so ill-equipped for this task? It's because it is, in fact, impossible <laughs> to do it perfectly. And you are, in fact, ill-equipped to do this really well. And yet, by virtue of having kids, having nieces, nephews, having a classroom full of little ones, having grandkids, you know what it means? It means though you are ill-equipped, though it's impossible, you are still called by God for this task. Now, why would God call someone who is ill-equipped to an impossible task? Why would he do that? So that in your weakness, in your neediness, in your sinfulness that gets exposed in the task of trying to live this out, you are drawn deeper into your reliance upon him, upon Jesus Christ. Your need for his strength, for his wisdom, for his mercy, mountains, truckloads of mercy upon you as you try to do this well. And you see, it's at that moment where you are keenly aware of the mercy and grace and the wisdom and the fatherly care of love that you need every moment of every day. It's at that moment that you have everything you need to be a faithful father, to be a faithful parent, to be a faithful grandparent, to be a faithful educator. Because what God gives to you in your weakness, grace and truth, is what needs to flow through you into theirs. That's why your relationship this way matters. And your relationship this way matters because, look, this lives and dies on conversations. You might say, I have a great relationship with the little ones in my life. Great relationship. And I'm sure that you do. But when I say great relationship that can help live this out, what I mean is this, like actual engagement, eye contact, and also oh, important, like literal conversation. Because again, this is spoken, it's communicated. That's what this requires. You know, it was once shared with me and it cut me deeply because it rang so true for my family and for so many other families that I know. Someone once said to me, Matt, you know, here in the United States, so many kids grow up in families where they are experientially rich but relationally poor. They are rich in experience but impoverished in relationships. They have teams and tutors 
and clubs galore. Wonderful experiences, great. And yet the relationships of engagement and conversation and deep connection over meaningful things is going way, way down. Don't confuse great experiences with your family with great relationship. You can be experientially rich and relationally poor if there's none of this. It's what you do on the drive to the soccer game. It's the way you twist the rearview mirror to make eye contact with your teenage daughter and you ask the question that needs to be asked and you say the words of grace and mercy that need to be said. That's what this is about. The fullness of God given to the world in Jesus Christ. And the fullness of God was seen in Jesus holding these two things as he comes to you, this incredibly high standard. Here's who we are to be and this even greater grace. And that's what the children need from their heavenly father. And that's what the kids in your life need from you. What is the standard? I'm going to give you a little bit of homework as we end here. If you have little ones in your life who are under your influence or care, I would encourage you to wrestle with these two questions when it comes to the sphere of influence that you have with them, be them in your home, in your classroom, when they spend weekends with you, when mom and dad need time away, grandma and grandpa, whatever it is, here's the two things that I would have you wrestle with, these two questions. What standards could be more clearly communicated? And in what area could more grace be extended? Chances are there are parts of your life in relationship with these little ones where you could be clearer, paint a clearer, more compelling picture of what we are about as a family, what matters to us. Have you been clear? And chances are there's an area of life in your relationship with this person where you can extend much more grace or more explicit grace. We all have parts of life where when it comes to our kids, we're real sticklers about like, we're, we're really hard on them in this particular area, or we, we really struggle not to be graceless in this particular area. What is that for you? And what would it look like in reference to that thing to be more gracious, to create a culture of grace? Wrestle with that. I'm, I'm blessed to have an incredible teenager growing up in my house right now. Tomorrow's her 16th birthday. And uh, she's, she's an amazing kid, but I find myself wrestling with these two questions all the time. How, how can I be more clearer about what our standard is in our home? And there's, there's a lot of things to be clear about <laughs> right now. And what are the parts of my life as a dad with her and with my son too where I'm not nearly as gracious as I could be? where I could do more to make it clear that no matter how you do in relation to the standard, the standard's important. This means more. And I love you. And you're mine. No matter what happens, we're good. When you feel the weight and the burden of trying to live this out in your moment of weakness, don't chicken out. In your moment of weakness, with your sins exposed, 
that's the moment where you have everything it takes to be an incredible member of your family. Because the grace and mercy that is extended to you in that moment through Jesus Christ, that's what needs to flow through you to the ones that have been entrusted to you by Jesus Christ. More next week. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the supreme honor that it is to be a person of influence in the lives of people that we love, in our families, in our extended families, in our work for some of us. We pray, Father, that you would give us the relationships that are required so that we can speak the truth, we can communicate a compelling vision for who we are to be, and we can also look loved ones and friends in the eyes and we can communicate unwavering grace and mercy. We thank you that that's what you do for us. We pray that you would help us to imitate Jesus and do that for others. In Christ's name, amen.